RNMD is a show about hospital relationships from the perspective of doctors and nurses. You're very smart, and we know that you would never come to a podcast for medical advice. So obviously, call your non-podcasting doctor and nurse team if you need any medical care. Oh, and we should also mention that we don't represent any hospital at all, ever. Okay, start the thing. everybody and welcome to RNMD, a show about doctors and nurses working together in this mad world of medicine. I'm Abby, your nurse host. I'm Laura, your doctor host. How are you, Laura? What's up? What are you doing? <laughs> Just living the dream. Today's episode started as usual as me and Abby te- like rage texting each other and then we're like, nah, we need to record this. So yeah. we're here. Per use, yeah. Per use. (laughs) This is our unofficial holiday episode, and by that I mean I'm going to work the next six, so we're going to get some some recording in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks that you have to work. I feel like I worked every Thanksgiving and New Year's for like the past six years. This is going to be one of the first years that I didn't have to do that. I I generally really like working holidays because like for the most part people are nice to you and there's like you know, everyone's like sort of in the same boat. Like everyone who's working is like, yes, we're going to try to make the best of this. So it's it's kind of nice. Yeah. They can't be mad at you because you're also there working. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, everyone always has a potluck, which I usually, I'm like, I shouldn't cook and we really probably shouldn't have a potluck during (laughs) COVID. But like at the same time, it's still fun. It's super fun. I love potlucks. And I mean, everybody's vaccinated at these places. And at least the potluck that I, I went to one um, maybe like two months ago when numbers were down and we had like um, everything was like individually wrapped, like the dinner rolls, like you couldn't just like reach in with your hand and touch all of them. Like I think people are getting a little bit better, which honestly, maybe we should have been doing in the first place because <laughs> it, it can be gross. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's like been my big takeaway of this pandemic is like, why were we like grabbing things from a communal bowl in the first place? Yeah. Like and sh- like sharing n- popcorn. Yeah. Like not using hand sanitizer constantly. Yeah. yeah. I will say that like every time I paint my nails now, the hand sanitizer takes it off in like a day and I'm just like, oh, all right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> not really, oh not God. really an issue, like, you know, bigger picture, but I yeah. noticed it. I was at the hospital like two days ago and I used um, their hand sanitizer that's like provided and it's literally smells like alcohol. Like it smells Mm -hmm. like you could drink it and it just like peeled all the skin (laughs) off of my hand. (laughs) I'm just like, oh my God. Okay. It's like I'm sanitized, but at what cost? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My favorite is like once you hit, it's like 10 hand sanitizers in a row, it doesn't rub it anymore. And you just have like this film that like goes up and down your arms and you're just like, I can't touch anybody. Like I have to go wash my hands and start over. I hate that film. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's always fun. Yeah. I'm like like shaking patients' hands and I'm like, I'm sorry. Like you're just going to get some hand sanitizer now. Yeah, it's gross here. Yeah. All right. Um, what are we talking about today, Abby? Boy, what are we talking about? Okay, so we were on the phone or like voice memoing each other about um, like teach, teaching moments and like um, including nursing in those moments and also explaining certain things to the nursing staff. Like 
you were using the example that you will sometimes do some weird rogue things, right? <laughs> don't uh, don't put it like that. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, basically <laughs> with like evidence base behind it and like whatever, yeah. but stuff stuff that the nurses are not used to seeing. Um, yeah. and I've been in that situation, and like. Yeah, I'm the first one to be like, what is this order? And like, why are you placing this? You know, because to me, I'm like, I feel like the safety of my patient might be compromised because I've never seen this before. Um, but, you know, we were just talking about how to, how you navigate that. So I thought that was a good episode. Yeah, and I think we should like give the, the context that we were talking about this in the context of like, we understand medicine at a fourth grade level, I'm pretty sure of like, I can't necessarily tell you why this medication works as far as like pathophysiology, but it works. And this is why. So anyway, that was the context. We're not going to get into that. We were both very smart. We know our, we know our stuff. I just don't know what potassium is maybe. Um, (laughs) I just think it's good too to like admit, I feel like everybody always pretends that they know everything and no one does. Right. So I think it's also good to just admit that like, um, you know, especially when you've been in practice for a long time, there are certain things that you, you know, the protocol, you understand, you know, why it's helping the patient, but you might forget the chemistry and stuff like that of it. And like, I think to a certain degree, that's okay. I think the knowing the steps, knowing what labs to look for, that kind of stuff is more important because you can always look up that other stuff. You can always do a refresher. Yeah. And like the way I try to like, you know, I try to do a better job when I'm teaching med students or residents, but like a lot of the way I practice medicine is like, do I get a bad vibe from this? It's, I call it my vibes based medicine. Um, and I think that's a real thing. Like, I mean, it is, especially like once you sort of, you know, you have a little bit of experience and I'm not saying I have a ton of experience, but like, you know, you have a little bit of experience and you can like look at stuff and be like, all right, like this looks like what I expect. This doesn't, it's, it's vibes, it's vibes based medicine. Yeah. But anyway, but it, I what, teach. Uh, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I think that's a really, we need to come up with a word for that because it, that is, um, to your point, like that is what nurses do constantly. Mm-hmm. Our whole job really is assessment. It's assessing, doing an intervention, reassessing, assessing, intervention, reassessing. Um, that is really everything that we do. So nurses are very intuitive and and are really good at looking at a patient. And even if they're just slightly different, can say like, listen, this is not right. And like, yeah, some of the doctors will be like, I don't know what you mean. Patient looks fine. And and then like they code three hours later, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. we, I mean, we talk about this in, in medicine is it's like clinical gestalt, which I'm, I'm sure someone's going to say I pronounced gestalt wrong and whatever <laughs> you can say that. Um, but anyway, and like, it's interesting because a lot of the like decision-making tools we use, like the, I want to say it's like Perk and Wells that we use for, um, PEs and some of the head injury rules that we use for kids. Like there are these, evidence-based decision-making rules, but they're measured against, uh, the gestalt of an experienced clinician, which is like, usually holds up. It's just as good. Like if you have someone who's got some experience and like, like can explain why they think this is, or isn't the diagnosis, usually the rules are trying to be as good as that, which is like Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Like it's basically to bring it back to my vibes-based medicine, like the vibes are, the vibes are off. Like that's, that's how we make a lot of decisions. Right. Um, and this is sort of like, the way this came up was we were talking about like, you know, how do we teach medical students? Cause there are a lot of things and nursing students and new nurses and new grads and all this stuff. Cause there's a lot of stuff that like, you do have to be able to look at an EKG and be like, okay, like I see elevations in AVR. That means blah, blah, blah. But there's also a lot of it where I'm just like, Ooh, this EKG made me say, oof, that's a bad thing. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, and I've actually, definitely. I've actually said that to a resident before and they're like, that is not helpful. And I'm like, okay, fair. 
that's valid. Yeah. But a lot of but, like, I think there is a lot of stuff that is just like sort of this implicit knowledge or like even like social knowledge that I think is really important. And that sort of is what got us to this topic, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I have that too. Like I am not a CVICU nurse, but like, you know, I've printed a strip where I'm like, oh, no, nope, <laughs> this is not okay. And I'm just like, take it to the doctor. And I'm like, now what? <laughs> yeah. And then we have to convert them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like uh, called cardiologists for bad vibes. Yeah. Um, which yeah. like, honestly, like, I feel like, you know, it's not a hundred percent specific but sensitivity for bad vibes is pretty high i want to do a study just based on this like i'm gonna do the most gen z study of all time of like do bad vibes correlate to bad patient outcomes and i feel like the answer is probably yes like they definitely do they definitely do yeah you can just tell even my my favorite thing you know we're always taught mentation in nursing school like what's the first thing you know if somebody's going septic mentation Mm -hmm. one of my other favorite things is the coloring of them like Mm -hmm. what is what do they look like like what does their face actually look like because a lot of those patients they start to get like purpley bluey gray before anything happens and so that's my fear i'm like looking at their earlobes i'm looking at their cheeks like oh you don't look okay (laughs) and they're like i feel fine i'm like "Mm, but (laughs) this this is one of the episodes i feel like maybe we need to release the video of because our facial expressions in this are fantastic they're so good i know we need to do we got to get the patreon up soon Yeah. yeah Just oh so you God. can see unflattering pictures of uh, me and Abby still in our pajamas. Yeah, literally anyway. at one twenty in the afternoon. <laughs> it's fine. Don't judge. It's fine. Um, okay. okay. So what are the things, I guess we let's do this. We, you want to get back and forth? Like what are the yeah. things that you teach a new nurse about how to communicate with doctors about vibes are off on this patient or this is how you, you know, communicate with a resident or a doctor who's not listening to you? What are, what are you going to teach this non- non-clinical, but you got to know it kind of stuff. So I, I always tell them to have a proper assessment before they call the doctor, especially if they got to make a case, right? Um, because if the doctor isn't there, and especially if you're a new nurse, and this isn't actually the totally wrong thing on the doctor's behalf, because like a new nurse, just like a new doctor is a little more scared. They're a little more anxious. And so they tend to overtreat a little bit, right? So you know, a new nurse, they might kind of be like, well, I just saw the patient four hours ago. Patient seemed fine. So usually what I I say is get your charge or get, get a mentor if your charge is mean, have them look at the patient and just kind of describe like, what do you think about, am I, am I way off? You know, and sometimes the charge will say, well, actually, why don't you just give this and see, you know, but if it's, if it's legit, then I say, you got to have an assessment, you need a fresh set of vitals, and then you need to describe exactly why you called. You know, if you're saying, you know, patient was able to get up to the toilet by themselves, uh, six hours ago and now they can't lift the cup to their mouth, that's a major change in status, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you just have to present it in a way that that is sort of evidence. You, you can't say vibes like because they're not going <laughs> to listen. But but you there is a reason why you think that vi- or you have that vibe. Th- yeah. Whatever that is, that's what you need to communicate. And if they say it's fine, just document that you called Dr. So-and-so, they said it was fine and that's it. And keep an eye on that patient. And if there's any more changes, you know, call again. You can always, if you really have an emergency, you escalate it, obviously. But we're talking about, you know, slight changes, subtle changes. Yeah. And that's, it's super interesting that you sort of phrase it that way. Cause as you were talking, I was like, yeah, this is also how I call consults from the ED of like, and this is actually something that I, (laughs) 
It's it's like the biggest learning curve in emergency medicine, right? Is like how do you call a consult because you're you've got maybe two minutes to explain to the person on the phone what you're seeing in detail and what you need and why what you need is like what's actually necessary, right? Appropriate, right? Yeah. So like one and you know people can criticize this and disagree with this, but like my approach and what I always tell residents is like you make the call, you lead with what is going on, like who you are, what the patient is, and then what's going on and what you want. So like if it's someone that I'm just calling for advice on. I always lead the call with like, Hey, I don't need you to see this patient. I just need some advice. Can you look at this chart with me? And then like, right. if they know where this is going, I feel like that's always like a really helpful thing. It like sets the expectation for the call. Mm-hmm. And then like the other, you know, I tell the story, all that stuff. But the other thing that I always close with is like, I really need you to come see this patient. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's like a thing is there's a lot of, and I, you know, whenever nurses come to me and they're like, I need you to come look at this patient. I'm like, okay, done. No questions right. asked. Like get up, go right. see them. Because like, I feel like that's a thing that gets lost a lot of like, you'll be like, Oh, I have this concern about a patient, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, do it. Like how concerned are you? Do I need to come see right. this person? Or is this just right. like, keep an eye on them. Maybe I want some Zofran. Like, Right. That's always one yeah. of the things I teach my residents is like you need to lead with what you want and then sort of build your evidence so that they're listening yeah. to make the same conclusion that you are basically. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point, too, is, you know, there are certain things that just by policy and like a newer doctor to a teaching hospital is not going to understand the policies of a new hospital. Right. But there are certain things just by policy that the nursing staff has to report to the doctors. Mm-hmm. And especially new nurses, I see them not understanding that dynamic that the doctor doesn't understand. Like, are you saying this is a problem or are you Mm -hmm. just notifying me? So it is a really good time to be like, I just have to notify you. This is something I'm required to tell you. You know, it's like, okay, just, just have to make sure you're aware. MD aware. Like, you know, right. Exactly. Yeah. And that holds true for consults as well. Of like, sometimes I'll be like, I'm consulting this patient because I'm admitting and the hospital has asked me to, you do not need to see them right now. And like, it just makes everyone's life so much easier if you just lead with, I am required right. to do this. It's not like not something you have to deal with right this second. I right. like, just that level of communication really helps, I think. Yeah. I'm not giving you more work to do. Yeah. Or I'm not intentionally giving you more work to yeah. do. Yeah. Also, yeah. I don't know if this is a thing at your hospital, but like one of my favorite like my favorite things in the hospital is like when people are, are like coming to me with like, oh, lab called potassium is 4.2 and I'm just like cool MD aware and like I feel like such a dick but like if it's people that you know and you're like MD aware yeah. they're like it's like the funniest like thing laugh. it's like yeah the lowest hanging fruit for a joke and I do it all yeah. the time because I'm very lame but <laughs> MD aware yeah anyway. <laughs> oh my god yeah um yeah I feel like there's there's a lot of like communication um issues. And especially when, you know, now we're, I feel like it's this new structure, right? Or like, I know that we always had residents, but I feel like I could be wrong. Correct me. But like, I feel like the residents are really in charge of a lot and they have a lot of autonomy, at least in the hospitals I've been at. Like, it's like, sometimes I don't even see an attending, not in the ICU, but like on the general floors. And it's like this PGY2 is just like running the show with these patients overnight. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it's a little like when you have that and then the other side of it is like a med surge floor, for example, is going to have a lot of times a newer group of nurses because that's where a lot of times the new nurses go. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so like that's a weird dynamic and combination because I feel like neither of them really understand each other's workflow or understand why they're doing certain things. And there's not, there's really no good communication and they rotate. So you don't even get to like build up a relationship with them. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I, I like, I'm hesitant to ask this because this could turn into like a three hour episode, but do you want to talk a little bit about some of the things that like, especially like new interns just maybe don't know about the workflow and this is going to be so yeah. different across like floors. So, I mean, obviously oh, yeah. we're not, we're not trying to speak for everybody, but just sort of, sort of, ugh, sort of yeah. some of the like general things that maybe new interns don't know to think about for nursing flow. And then I can do the the same thing from the opposite side. Sure. Yeah. Um, do you think I we can think... do this in like three minutes because this is going to go really long? <laughs> I can try. I can, okay, I can try go. to do my, yeah, I can try to do my best. Um, okay. I think that, uh, just the timing and the workflow of the nurse is something that they're completely unaware of. And this is something that is going to be different facility to facility. Like some nurses come in seven to seven, some are eight to eight, like whatever. If you're in the PACU or OR, it's way different. Right. But just asking those questions when you first come into the charge nurse or someone, you know, always nurses are not a monolith. So like, you know, some of the nurses are going to be nicer than others. Just look for somebody nice and ask them these questions. But, you know, like what time do you draw labs? Um, you know, what's the last lab draw of day shift or night shift? That's mm -hmm. really important to know, for example, because if you put one in, if you add on something after a certain time, patients already got their labs. You, you're going to put it for seven. They're probably going to get their blood drawn at five. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, if you add it at six, now that's either going to go missing or we got to stick the patient again. And if it mm -hmm. was really important, that's a problem, you know? Yeah. And you're you're really messing up like a really busy time of the morning when everybody's trying to like finish up. I'm speaking on night shift because that's where I used to work, but this applies to day shift as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, around five, five, six o'clock, that's when people are trying to tie up loose ends and get out of there. Um, If you have, uh, let me think. If you have a new admission, do not, do not, do not trickle in orders. If you do this, you will be known as the doctor who does that and everyone will hate you. It is the most infuriating thing where every, I get everything done, a blood drawn, there's an IV, I gave oral meds, da, 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 patient's all set, patient is in bed comfortable finally from the ED, and then I go back, I hit refresh, and then all, there's four more orders. And then every time I get that done, four more orders. I'm like, this is not my only patient. Yeah. What are you doing here? Yeah. And that's like, that's probably the one that I hear all the time and it's totally accurate. Like it's totally valid. Um, and I think like the, like the intern experience is where like, oh my gosh, I like, it's so, you're just so afraid to do everything. Like you don't want to do too much. You don't want to do too little. So then it's like, oh, you staff it with your upper level. And then they are like, oh, why don't we add on this? And then maybe the attending says, oh, why don't we add on this? And then maybe a consultant says, oh, why don't we add on this? And like, it just turns into such a thing. And like, yeah. I think the further in you get the easier, like, I'm just like, I'll just order like shotgun labs. Cause yeah. I, I recognize I need to be like a good custodian and there are labs that I don't order. Cause I'm like, if I order this lab and it's positive and I don't actually have like D dimers, D dimers are impossible because like they're almost always positive. And then you like get down this rabbit hole of, do you do this like really expensive and like, you know, sort of, you know, are you going to do a CTPE to look for a, like a PE and then have radiation and contrast and all this stuff. So like there right. are labs where I'm like, okay, don't just shotgun this reflexively, but like there are things where I'm like, okay, this patient's going to come in. You can just shotgun some labs. Like you can just right. go ahead and order everything. Right. It's not going to like right. big picture. If you know where this is going, it's not going to be that much of a big deal. Right. Um, the right. other thing, and you can, you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but, and this is probably different in the ER, but like 
Um, if I do add on something and I'm like, I always try to go find the nurse before I add it on to be like, yeah. Hey, I'm going to add this, please draw it. I will put it in the computer in five minutes. So right, they're right, right. not going in multiple times. Right, and then if it is something right. that's like actually critical of like, Oh, I got the hemoglobin back and this, you know, the hemoglobin's four and I didn't put on a type in screen cause I, this was not on my differential. Like go that's talk, little, like go talk to the person yeah. about that and be like, Hey, I'm really sorry. Like I'm right. not trying to nickel and dime you. This is a critical lab. We need to do this right now. I'm right. so sorry. Like, and that is like, yeah, the patient needs that. We didn't expect that. I got no problem with that. It's just, it's the lack of like proactive thinking. That yeah. I, yeah, yeah. That makes my job harder. I mean, my job is to care for the patient. If the patient needs another lab drawn because there's an abnormal value, that's part of my job. But like, it's when it's just like tossed in there. I mean, that goes for meds too. Like, yeah. it, it, I, I mean, going back to the schedule, it's a good, it's a good question to ask when the meds are due too. Like when mm -hmm. are your med passes? Because if the med pass, if you nurses have two hours before and after to the time stamped to mm -hmm. pass the medication and facilities, a lot of times will say one hour just to like make sure everyone's within compliance with the state. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you're putting, let's say an 8 PM, you know, routine, whatever, and I give all my meds at 7.05 for that patient, and then I'm done with that patient, patient's tucked in, we're all good, and then you add a couple more at like 8.30, and you were like, well, the med pass was eight, at 8.30. It's like, no, like it wasn't. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I already did it. And, and also like thinking about when those, if you're starting like a new antibiotic, like when are those going to correlate with the other things like try to group them if you can and that's not even for the nurse's convenience that's for the patient like you don't want to yeah. be in there every other hour hanging a new medication like you could just be in there all at once sometimes they want some privacy yeah and this is like we probably need to do an episode on like emrs because the way that emrs are built so i only did like three or four months of inpatient medicine because again i'm er like i right. in, in residency i actually did a lot more in medical school but um, like the way that EMRs are built, like it doesn't always, and some of them do, but it doesn't always group meds all at the same time, or it doesn't right. always like do that stuff for you. And it should, because like if it you're should. an intern and you have like five new admits or whatever the limit is on how many admits you can have, like you've got a lot of things to do. You've got to do notes. You've right. got to staff it. You've got to call consultants. You've got to like do a bunch of chart review. You've got to put in all these meds. You've got to do these med recs. Like it's a lot of things. And yeah. like, we're not really building systems that make this intuitive. We're not like, right. I could go on about this forever. Like, you know, you're trying to get external records. You're trying to call family. And like, none of this is actually built into the EMRs or the workflow in like a way that actually makes this doable. Right. So like, okay, like what do we need to do to build the EMR in a way where it actually prioritizes patient care? It prioritizes like staffing because a lot of right. it is not streamlined that way right now. Yeah. And a lot of it isn't necessary. Like there's a difference between a septic patient who like, I got to get this shit in right now, or this med can wait three hours. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of times on a med search floor, especially like after they're admitted, some of that stuff can wait a, a minute, right? It's not like yeah. emergency medic medication, right? Um, yeah. And so I just feel like, yeah, it could be grouped in. So it's a lot easier. Like if you have a dementia patient where you have to crush the pills and you have to sit in the chair and you have to slowly feed it to them and mm -hmm. make sure, you know, like that takes time, like things like that. Um, so it's just better. I don't know. Just cluster care is just really important to yeah. me. Wait, I, ha I have one more pet peeve. Hold on. And then Go. I'll stop. Okay. Yeah. If you, this is for, I am, I guess, if you are admitting a patient, I get that you need, you're, especially you're going to be scared in the beginning and you want to check with everybody. Um, but, and I know you guys got so many admissions. It sucks. But please don't leave that patient 
without a bunch of orders. I know we talked about this before and like some of the systems, they automatically like the EDs, some of their orders come up with them and it's just like tuck in orders or whatever. Like basic Um, comfort stuff. Yeah. Right. And, and so maybe that's a little bit different, but I've been at mostly places that they don't have those at all. And all of the Mm -hmm. ED orders are not something that I'm authorized to give because Mm -hmm. that you're not my doctor. Like I answer to the, I am doctor. Like that patient's not in that unit anymore. Like the order, the status has changed. So I'm waiting for the, I am doc. So especially pain meds or, you know, whatever, like the, the diet that really it's just, mm-hmm. just do the simple things, just do the simple things yeah. like the pain med, uh, the diet, the, you know, vitals. is a patient allowed, yeah, vitals, is a patient allowed to walk like that kind of mm-hmm. just real basic yeah. stuff. Just so if the patient wants to go to the bathroom, you know, or whatever, I can like help them, you know? Yeah. You know, if they have to stay in bed or get up or if they have to have head of the bed flat. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think, again, I think that goes back to a systems thing because like my, like where I trained, we had tuck-in orders of like, mm-hmm. Cause I had seen the patient like I was in the ER. I had seen the patient. I knew sort of what the plan was not exactly like, I'm not going to do like complicated stuff, but I know, okay, this patient was a stroke patient. They need to be head of the bed flat. They need to be blah, blah, blah. Like I can put in those basic tuck in orders while someone right. else, you know, figures out the full chart review and the med rec and all of that stuff. So again, right. I mean, I, I agree with you. Those orders should be in, but I also think we can build systems that makes yeah. that easier, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was built in a way that, I think probably prior, I'm just guessing here, right? I have no evidence, but I'm just guessing prioritizes reimbursement versus Mm -hmm. the actual patient care and the workflow that we need to communicate to each other. Is this on the list? This topic? so. Okay. If not, we'll add it to the list. This is like, this is like a whole thing of like the EMR is just a billing software and a medical legal software. It's not like a patient care thing. All right. We'll talk about that later because we will talk about that literally for 1000 hours. Yeah, Definitely. Um, but the other thing that I think has come up a lot and like you used to do this a lot on the nocturnal nurse of like sort of the expectations between night and day shift of like, like night shift nursing, I think is much more like, okay, advancing the plan of care, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's just like not the way they staff night shift doctors for the most part, like in the ICU, maybe like in the ICU, there should be enough people there that you can actually change the plan of care if needed. But like for like med surge and at least where I worked, like for a lot of these places, if you weren't in the ER and maybe the ICU, you did not have staff for like complicated patient updates or complicated like Mm -hmm. um, care plan changes or anything like that. Like, you know, when I was on um, like surgery rotations, I would have like 50 patients, maybe a third of whom I had actually rounded on that day and the rest of whom someone else had rounded on. So like... My workflow was I always went up to the floor um, and I, I tell like I would I told like the residents in my program to do this as well. Like I would go up to every single med surge floor and I would round with every night nurse and be like, hey, what do you wow. need? Do you need restrained orders? Do you need this shit? Wow. Just just so I could get two hours of sleep that night. Like that was the only right. reason because I because I had been right. awake since 4 a.m. I was there at 10 o'clock at night. I was going to be there until 10 o'clock the next morning. Like I would just right. go round because like that would that meant I would be like, hey, I would round at like maybe one o'clock and I'd be like, hey, I'm going to go lay down for an hour like if this can wait until 4 a.m., I will come back up at 4 a.m. And I went back up at 4 a.m. every day and I rounded. And then I could, I could maybe get three hours of sleep without getting paged. Maybe. Mm -hmm. And like, I recommend that. Like if you have time, go up and round and just put in those restraint orders and put in those PRN orders Mm -hmm. and like tell people like, Hey, I'm not going to change the plan of care more than giving you some rectal Tylenol if you need it. Like that's all I'm really going to do. And like, if you just communicate that up front, it saved me so much work. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Because first of all, like we're saying, you're being proactive, right? So as a nurse, I see you coming up. That means right there, you care about our patient, right? So cool. Cause I care a lot about our patients. So if, if you show me that, then I'm way more apt to have sympathy for you. And like for you to be like, are you good? Do you need anything? And I'm like, no, actually like you already renewed my Foley order. I'm good. Uh, and then if you're like, okay, I'm going downstairs, like I'm going to be back up before that again, like gives me trust. And like, if I've seen you do that in the past and you actually show up before, it's like, okay, if I have a non-urgent thing, I'm like, well, I'm going to see her in an hour. So like, mm-hmm. I don't need to yeah. page her. It actually, to me, saves me a bunch of work. Cause now I don't have to look up your freaking pager number and like, mm-hmm. you know, and then get on the thing and all this shit. I just know like, you're going to come in round. Like that's yeah. just a better workflow. It's better for the patient. It's better for us. Like it, it's just... I just think sometimes I don't know why there's this weird division between us all and it just shouldn't be there. Like it's not good for anybody, you know? And like, don't get me wrong. Like people on both ends can definitely be petty or like, Oh yeah. Just like bad at their jobs. Like at one point this is like, I don't, I don't remember who this nurse was, but I remember I was in a trauma, like I was on trauma. I was on trauma calls. I was on like 30 hour calls every three days. Like it's just, you know, fucking insane. And I was on a trauma call and I was in the trauma bay. Like, I don't remember what the trauma was, but it was like a pretty major trauma. And I got like hammer paged like four times by the same nurse. And Mm -hmm. I finally like, I was still scrubbed, like I was not scrubbed, but like, you know, gowned up, like doing like a chest tube or something. And I finally had one of the techs pull my phone out of my pocket and like called back. And she was like, Hey, can I give this PRN Miralax that we have ordered? And I'm like, I don't you paged care. me four times. Like, why did you page me four times for this? Like, right. yes, it's ordered PRN. Please give it. Thank you. Right. Like, so, right. and there are, there are situations like that. And I don't know if like I pissed this person off and they were just, you know, trying to irritate me. I don't know if they just didn't see the PRN order. Like, I don't know what the situation was. Yeah. But stuff like that does happen. And right. residents on the, on the flip side, residents absolutely are dicks to nurses and ignore pages and like aren't proactive. I totally get that. But for mm-hmm. the most part, like, I think if we like actually, tried to communicate and tried to be a little bit more proactive and tried to like understand like if you're on if you're a night nurse I'm probably you know the the resident and maybe the doc like the attending overnight have been there for 18 hours and don't know your patient and like try, you know trying to look at things in those terms of like is it actually mm-hmm. in the patient's best interest for this person who doesn't know them to change the plan of care like not really you know yeah I think it's just trying to have that understanding it's just um I think everything that we talk about, it just goes back to a system failure, right? Because I don't Mm -hmm. personally think that should be the case. I think you guys should be staffed appropriately on nights so that you do know all these patients and you, and I'm not saying that you need to change the plan of care actively on everybody, but, um, we're, we're told, I've said this before, you know, we're told that like nursing and healthcare is a 24 hour business. Mm -hmm. So we are under the impression that like, no, it needs to be done now. It's also difficult for me to go to day shift and say X, Y, Z is a problem, but like we didn't do anything about it. I have to, that's part of my nursing workflow is like, Mm -hmm. if there is a problem, I have to show that I did an intervention. It's not okay. It's not appropriate care within, you know, a nursing scope to state that there's a problem and not have a corrective intervention for it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think so, you're totally right. I, I read this paper a couple of days ago. If I can, I don't remember what it was, but if I can find it, we'll put it in the show notes. But it was talking okay. about how like a lot of the, um, like the reason it, we're so slow to discharge patients and we're so backlogged on surgeries and everything is because we work, like we do a lot of things on a nine to five Monday through Friday schedule and healthcare mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. Like, you know, right. I've had, I've had patients, um, at one of my community ERs where, 
I've called the hospitals. I'm like, hey, this person needs to come in for like a cardiac workup. And they're like, it's Friday afternoon. There's no point. They're not going to get it done till Monday. They're going to sit here for three days and get this done right. on Monday. And yeah. like, that's not a good Why? reason to make a medical yeah. decision. Like, I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to discharge this person who needs a stress test because they can't get it done until Monday. Like, that's the, right. like, like I understand from like a, like a resource management perspective. Yes, it's not appropriate to let this patient sit in the hospital for three days before they can get this test done. But why can't they get the test done over why the weekend? Why can't they get it? Like, yeah. why don't, why yeah, why don't we staff hospitals appropriately that we can do things at night or we can, you know, do things on the weekends or we, you know, why don't we have care managers, like caseworkers on the yeah, weekends? At night. Like, yeah, this is like yeah. a big reason we have so much of a backlog and we have like this, you know, this bed status issue is because we just like, like healthcare is not a nine to five job. I totally agree with you. We do need to be right. staffing this appropriately. Why the fuck aren't we? I don't know. I mean, it's money, right? It's got to be. It's money. It, it takes, they have to put more case managers on there. They Ultimately, I think the hospital system, and, I, and I'm not talking about individual people, right? I think sometimes people think I'm talking about like their specific CNO when I'm talking and some of them are great, you know, um, but the and, hospital And sometimes system, we are specifically talking shit about your oh, CNO. Yeah. Sometimes. Oh yeah. And we will. Yeah. <laughs> and we will. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it's the system itself. It's the way it's set up itself, right? That like the people at the top of this hospital system will get fired if they don't show increase in profitability during their time there. Right. And they have to do that just about every year. And they have to show that, um, like if you're the CEO or you're in the board of drug, like you have to show this stuff. Right. So when we're talking about that, I mean, it's just been, I personally think it's just decades of that. Like every year the budget's being squeezed, 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 squeezed. And now we're at a par- a point where it's just, it can't be squeezed anymore. It's, it's going to break. Um, and so we can't have people like clinical coordinators and stuff on at night because it's like, Oh, well that would, that would decrease their profit margin. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what's so frustrating to me. And I guess we've talked about this This is sort of why we bonded in the first place. However, many months ago was like, we get pissed at each other. Like we get mad at each other or like mad at bedboard or mad at the house soup or mad at our charge that we don't have beds. We don't have staffing. It's not us. It's not like you're not mad at the resident who won't change the plan of care overnight. You're mad at the system for setting us up where we're providing bad patient care because of the way the system's built. Like this is not if like anybody who came in and was like, let's build a healthcare system that works. Like we're doing the exact opposite of what they would say to do. Like if aliens came down and were like, this is how we run a hospital. They'd be like, what the actual fuck? Yeah. This is like completely backwards. Like the way they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, I don't know. We just need, I mean, we need healthcare for all. We need Medicare for all. And we need, um, we need the workers to kind of take ownership and, and to have a voice, uh, in some of this stuff versus yeah. these CEOs. And, you know, yeah. and, you know, the, the CEO, I say this all the time. The CEOs are the fun ones to talk about because it's the most egregious, but it, there's a lot of people right below them making way too much too. It's just not in the millions. So we don't talk about it, but that's a big problem too. Just the admin costs in general. Yeah. And there are a lot of people, um, if you want a statistic, 14% of Medicare spending is on unnecessary administrative costs. Boom. Final season. Boom. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, part of the problem is that like these people that are in these administrative positions, some of them have clinical experience. Some of them were, you know, doctors or nurses or whatever, but Mm -hmm. like almost to a one, they don't do it anymore. Like when was the last time like the CNO came down and was like taking a patient or taking a new admit or like, I remember during the pandemic, like one of our, I don't even know who it was. One of our administrators came down in like her suit and was pushing a stretcher around the department, like an empty stretcher around the department. And I'm just like, 
what? This is very much a gesture. Like you're you're not contributing. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not starting a line. You're not like in this recess. Right. Like we, you know, we would have one recess nurse for six recess days. You're not like helping with right. the critical care. You're pushing an empty stretcher around. Like, where are you going? What are you doing? <laughs> I have no idea. It was like, this is like the most surreal part of the pandemic for me. Cause I was just like, do, do you think we buy this? Like, do you think we right. think you're helping? Like, oh my God. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, the last man. big thing that we I, it's like a little bit of a, a diversion point we've been talking about, but I do think it's really important and it sort of comes back to like this communication of like, how can we work better together as teams? I think it mm-hmm. does all come down to communication. And like the example that I was talking about with you is like, and this is particularly for like new residents, our knowledge and like our base of knowledge is different than nursing. I'm not going to say it's better. I'm not going to say it's worse, but it's, it's different. Right. So they're like the one I always talk about is flash pulmonary edema, which the way I was trained to treat flash pulmonary edema is you start with nitro at like 400 and then you rapidly titrate it down. And like most hospital protocols is like nitro maxes at like either 200 or like four per keg, I think. So like it's, it's way higher than most hospital protocols and it works. Like it works really well. Like if you're, if you know what you're doing, like it works almost immediately. But it's also one of those things that like, if you're like, yeah, I'm going to order this nitro with this like ridiculous drip that's twice the max protocol or like, like norepi is sort of the same way. Like hospitals always have like a max mm-hmm. for how fast you can run pressers. Physiologically, there's not really a max. Like you can right. definitely go up on that. Right. But like, if you're like, oh yeah, just turn it up past what the hospital protocol says is appropriate. You're, if If you're with, like, I just moved to a new hospital. So like, if you're with nurses who don't know you and don't know that you know what you're talking about, right. they're going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So like, the, yeah, exactly. And yeah. like, absolutely justifiable, totally fair. It's like, this is one of the things that I always like try to teach my residents is like, if you're going to do sketchy stuff, one, you have to be able to back it up. Like you need to like, right. like here's, here's my literature. No one likes right. it. If you pull the literature out in the hospital, trust me, I've tried. It doesn't go well. It's, it's sort of fun. It's sort of fun, but people think you're a big nerd and also kind of, kind of like rude, but yeah. Like it's, it is the kind of thing where I think it's important that like, if you're going to do stuff and you might be right, I hopefully if you're going to do it, you're right. But like, if you're going to do stuff and you're going to ask your nurses to do things that they're not comfortable with, you need to be in the room with them. And like mm-hmm. the thing I always do is like, okay, we're going to start this at 400. We'll down titrate every four minutes. I will be in the room with you until we are at this level. Or right. I, you know, if you, if you're uncomfortable, I will program the pump. Like I will put this all under my name. Like, that's fine. I'll do this. Right. And like, it's just like a it sort of goes back to what you were saying earlier of like, you have to trust that everyone, like everyone on the team has the patient's best interest at heart. And I'm not just like going to throw you under the bus or I'm not just going to ignore mm-hmm. your concerns. Like our knowledge mm-hmm. is different. We know our knowledge is different, but we have to be able to back it up, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think just coming to the nurse and acknowledging like, this is unusual what I'm ordering um, and I know what I'm doing, that to me already sets you up for more success, right? Because if I just see it there, I'm going to be like, mm, fuck mm, this, I'm not doing I'm not this. Do yeah. yeah, yeah. But like if you come to me and you're like, hey, I know this is very unusual, but we're doing it because of X, Y, Z. And like if mm-hmm. you feel uncomfortable, I'll be in the room. Then I'm like, okay, like, I mean, the doctor explained why and is going to be there. So it's fine. Yeah. And then that's how you start to build trust, you know? And this is something you've talked about before of like, with a lot of these things, like I'm at a teaching hospital right now. So like I'm teaching my resident how to do this. And you've made Mm -hmm. the comment before that like, if I'm teaching as an attending, if I'm teaching a resident, why would I not include you in that teaching? It's your patient too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes the, 
the team so much stronger and like nurses want to learn and they want to feel included. So like, why wouldn't you? I just feel like it's so weird when I see like the doctors go out, you know, I get it. Like we have different things that we do. That's just nursing too. Right. I I get it that like, we're not going to be included in everything, but um, you know, you guys have like academic half days and like things like that. And it's like, we're just not included in any of that. Even if we wanted to be like, even if mm-hmm. we wanted to take the time out, like it's not an option for us, which I think is really strange. If like, we're talking about information that's just being given out. Like I can't just sit and listen in the seat. Like that's kind of strange, you know, the division. Yeah. The thing that was weird for me was like at my residency, we did a, like a, a lecture, like each resident gave a lecture your third year on like something you were passionate about. And I, mine was on medical racism and like institutional racism. And I was talking to, you know, I was pretty close with a lot of the nurses and I was telling them some of the stuff I'd been reading and they're like, can we come to this? Like, you know, it's, yeah. it was on zoom. Like it was on zoom. It was during the pandemic. So they're like, can we like, can we watch this? Like, we'd love to learn more about this. And I'm like, yeah. I honestly don't know the answer. Like, this is my, my work. Like, this is my uh-huh. like reading and my presentation and like all of like my, not like I didn't do the research obviously, but like I'm putting on the presentation and I was like, I don't actually know if I can invite you to this. Like, yeah. Why, why is that? Yeah, yeah. It was very, yeah. I mean, I might've been able to, if I had asked, I didn't at the time for various reasons, but, um, yeah, it's very weird in gatekeeping. And the other thing that goes along with that is like, they don't teach us like really basic nursing tasks. Like one of my, one of my residents the other day was like, Oh, the patient, this patient in room so-and-so asked me to get their nurse to hook up their IV fluids. And I'm like, I'll, I'll do it. And I like went in and he was like, he was like a brand new intern. He's super nice. And he's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. no one's ever taught me how to safely connect fluids or like how to spike a bag, like stuff like that. And like, you know, I've learned some of that because I like do some other stuff, like some event med stuff, but why aren't they teaching us how, like I don't know. how to yeah. do like some of these basic tasks? The thing that always gets me is like with sedation meds, the nurses are always like, yeah, like in various states, it's different, obviously. But like where I am now, um, nurses aren't allowed to push ketamine. And I'm like, so mm. you're going to have me who has pushed like six meds total in my entire life push like these meds because they're too dangerous for the- like this doesn't really right. make sense. Like, why aren't they t- either teaching me to do this earlier on or, or- yeah allowing us to do it yeah Yeah. it's really it's really a strange thing and it's it is regional because like I know in New York the residents do a lot more stuff like that than they do like where I I train but yeah they don't really I don't think they really in New York they really teach them anything about the pumps or anything like that like we have PAs um in the ICU that I worked with and they were trained or I don't think they were trained I think they learned you know just from being there and so they would be the ones who would be like oh I can do xyz for you but yeah I mean it also, it sets up a weird culture of like, um, I don't want to say lying, but like fudging sometimes where like mm-hmm. I've seen other nurses, like we're not allowed technically to do certain things, but then like, you know, as a nurse though, you have more experience doing some of that stuff than that new intern. So you're kind of put between a rock and a hard place where it's like, do I do this thing, which is probably mm-hmm. safer for the patient, but I could get in trouble for it? Or like, do I let this person do it, you know, and like yeah. maybe botch it? Like, I don't know what I'm yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. EJs um, are like a great example of that. Of exactly. Like, I, I was just thinking at EJs. That. I'm terrible yeah. at EJs, but like, yeah. I'll be like, I'll come in the room with you. And like, right. Exactly. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, I did that. Yeah. Like I did that with a, an intern once, uh, the nurses at the facility I was at, they were not allowed to place lines in the feet. And I don't understand that at all. Um, because this person had beautiful veins and it was no problem at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this doctor had never put a line in, in her life. And so it was me and her in there. And like, 
I'm like showing her how to do it. Right. And it's like, but why is she allowed to do this? And I, yeah. I can't, you know, like I don't, it yeah. was so strange. The funniest yeah. thing for me. And like, this is, so when I do ultrasound lines, like it's sort of a complicated thing, but like, um, a lot of the time, like I'll just stick. And then I'm like, I just need another hand. Can someone advance a catheter? And sometimes with stuff like that, like if I'm doing like an EJ or something, I'm like, okay, tell me where to stick. And then I stick and I'm like, okay, you advance the catheter. Cause I can't do yeah. this. Like, so yeah. I'm like, technically, yeah. technically I did the IV, but you like did it. Yeah. really yeah. I did not. You only have th- three or four years in residency to learn as much medicine as you can. And like, there is like some, you know, decent literature slash thoughts about like taking your time away to transport patients or to draw blood Mm -hmm. does harm your, you know, your education. Like that's time that you're not spent, like you're not spending learning, but at the same time, like, you know, being out on the other side, I do feel like there's some stuff that like I could be better at nursing tasks and I could improve my workflow and I could improve like my patient's turnaround time if I knew more of this stuff. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like I want to protect that learning time for residents, but also like I would be a better doctor if I knew how to do some of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's like certain things. I just don't understand why it's considered even a nursing task. Like why is drawing blood a nursing or a tech test? That should be an everybody task. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think a doctor should be able to draw blood by time they complete residency. Like that seems kind of strange to me, you know? Yeah. Um, or, but like, you know, and I'm do not, you know how many, do you know how many non ultrasound guided IVs I've done? Like, I mean, I, did some, but like, it's not, you know, I'm not nearly as good as any nurse or tech out there. Like if you want me to do an ultrasound IV, like, okay, sure. But like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, don't know. I don't know. It just seems weird to me to have these like, um, people who are so proficient graduating and, and then they don't know how, like, what if they work in an office later? You know, what if there's an emergency in their office and they only have a tech there, or, you know, something, I don't know. It's just like, they're not going to be able to start a line. Like, I don't know. It just seems weird to me to like release these people with this massive debt and education without this like kind of basic knowledge. Yeah. I don't know. And honestly, I think part of that is they spend so much of our time teaching us non-clinical shit. Like, you know, I can talk to you about billing all fucking day and I can talk mm-hmm. to you about like, I mean, I'm a nerd, so I can talk about policy stuff, but like from medical school, like why did I spend so much time on, <sighs> I like, I don't want to hate on anything from medical school, but like, did I really need a ton of like really advanced genetics that like, I'm only going to use if I'm a geneticist or like, do I need a ton of like the history of how, you know, PGA used to be called Wegner's and Wegner's was a Nazi. Do you know how many lectures I had about Wegner was a Nazi? It was all of Mm -hmm. them. Like, why Mm -hmm. did I spend so much time on stuff like this and less time on actual like advancing patient care stuff? Like why is medical school four years and a quarter million dollars minimum to like not actually teach me the things that are going to make me a better doctor. I mean, this goes back to the conversation that, you know, I was having with some of the nurses this week about like the ADN versus BSN, right? Mm -hmm. It's a similar conversation where, um, you know, I was a CNA and then LPN and then ADN and then BSN. And I didn't learn anything uh, clinical in my ADN to BSN classes. It was all theory. It was all leadership. It was all delegation, blah, blah, blah. So, um, why do we have these requirements, um, to get our nursing license that are driving us deeper in debt and they're, you know, they're marginalizing poor communities and communities of color. Why are we, required to do this? Well, it's because of the magnet status, right? They want to get their magnet status and to do that, they have to have all BSNs. But now because of COVID, we're seeing they're bringing ADNs back and they're bringing LPNs Mm -hmm. back. 
And it's like, okay, so you were saying that they weren't skilled enough to do that job before, and now you're saying they are. Well, that means that they were that whole time. You were just boxing them out so that you could get the magnet status, which gives you a higher reimbursement, right? Yeah. And it's it's the same thing. Like, why do I have to take these classes that have nothing to do with advancing patient care? I got nothing wrong with education. I'm I'm, that's why I'm going to get my master's. I've got nothing against it, but Mm -hmm. this is not helpful for the nursing practice. Like, right, yeah, and like it's the same thing in in a lot of medical school. Of like, there's a lot of time there that like there are things that we don't learn about. Like there's a lot of like LGBTQ issues that we don't Mm -hmm. learn about. It's not like part of the standard curriculum. There's a lot of like systemic racism we don't talk about. There's a lot of like sort of systemic issues. Even if like, you're not going to say, okay, we're going to spend this time teaching you clinical skills that are useful, which, you know, I think we should, but like, there are Mm -hmm. a lot of things that we should be as like, as doctors, we should be considering, we should be examining our own biases. We should be doing, you know, like heuristic training. Like we should be doing a lot of these things and we're not Mm -hmm. because we're going to learn about the guy that discovered diabetes by like taking the pancreas out of a greyhound. Like I have a picture, I have a picture of the greyhound, but like, (laughs) how did that help me? You know? Yeah. It it really doesn't. Yeah. It's just like a cool story basically. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty, it was a pretty funny Snapchat back in the day in like 2016, (laughs) but you know, yeah, but yeah, yeah or the so one I, with the surgeon where he took his own appendix out. Oh uh, yeah, Antarctica yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, that's I a good story. That that's a fun yeah. one. But you know that's, that's the thing badass. is like I think we could do a lot to revamp education across all like all levels of medicine and nursing and like really all healthcare fields of like what's actually going to transform patient care. What's actually going to make us a better, more competent provider. Like I think mm-hmm. my, my med school actually did some stuff where like we went in as like, I think a first year medical student and we like shadowed nurses and, and like yeah. different care settings, which I actually think was really useful just to get yeah. an idea of like what different what? floors are like and what like your yeah. job is like. But I think we could do, I think I did it like twice, you know, I think we could do Mm -hmm. a lot more of this through the clinical years um, and really build in like a, a lot of aspects of medical education that we're just leaving out right now. What do you think, let me ask you a tough question. I already know the answer, but I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to ask you why, why don't these things already exist? Why don't we have um, initiatives to help advance patient care rather than some of this miscellaneous theory or things that aren't helping why what's the push for that why does that occur uh my first answer is the patriarchy always (laughs) i mean i think it is about money like i um one of the things this drives me nuts like one of the things that is proven to um reduce heart disease the most is a vegan diet right but Mm -hmm. we cannot bill for dietary counseling like that's not you can't bill for that that But you can bill a fuck ton of money for a percutaneous, you know, intervention, PCI. Mm -hmm. So we do a ton of stents and PCIs. They bill really well. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying cardiologists do this on purpose. I'm not saying that at all. But at the same time, like if we need to keep our lights on, you have to get paid like you can't provide healthcare if you can't afford to open your office you know so the way the system is built doesn't incentivize these things that actually provide patient care because we're in a fucking fever service system and there's just i don't as far as going back to medical education i think it is like patriarchy was sort of like a real answer like this is rooted in a very hierarchical um 
historical system. Yeah. Driven by white men basically who are just like, Oh, we have to teach you all these important things that white men have done for the past 200 years and just like ignore the absolute atrocities the white men have contributed for the past 200 years. But like, and everybody else who made any kind of discovery or advancement in medicine too. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Um, so like there is a lot of this, like medicine is like a sort of a closed community and we like to think of ourselves as all good. And, Mm -hmm. um, What's the word? It's almost like a savior complex in a yeah. way. Yeah. It, it's like, a little bit like like the white benevolent. code and the Yeah. 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 yeah we like exactly. to think of ourselves as very benevolent. And I think to a certain extent a lot of people are. And I think people go into medicine because they want to help people. Like we've talked Definitely. about this before. If we wanted to make Definitely. money, there are ways your ways to make money. Right. So I think there is a degree of benevolence there, but at the same time, like, I think we have to look at not just our intentions, but our actions. Like you can't right. just say, oh, well, I, you know, I meant, I meant well, therefore it's right. fine. And that's sort of what a lot of medicine I think struggles with is like, we're doing these things that we've always done without actually looking at, okay, how are these things that we've always done actually affecting outcomes? Right. And we are, we are starting to see a shift in this. Like we are starting to see a lot more change in practice patterns. We're starting to see um, changes in medical education to include a lot more of these systemic factors, especially over the past 10 years. But there's still mm-hmm. a lot of this like tradition in medicine that I think is really setting up these like hierarchical structures that just yeah. like aren't helpful. Like that's not the point. This isn't about a hierarchy. This isn't about tradition. This isn't about history. This is about like actually providing patient care. And that's sort of like, I think what we lose sight of sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. It gets lost. Um, I think you're absolutely right especially when, so when you're talking about the hospital systems, it's definitely about money, right? I think that's very clear. That's what I meant by, I think I know the answer. Um, and then when you're talking about, you know, med school and, and the hierarchy there, we have a similar thing. I mean, we've talked about like the ANA and the, I always forget, what is it? The AHA. I can never say it's the, it's the (laughs) A and the H's together. Always messes me up. It's hard. Um, but like these, these, um, organizations, they really don't represent us either. Right. Um, and they are also rooted in that history and that kind of savior complex and like this weird, um, like I, you know, I think I mentioned an episode or two ago, this, especially with nursing, it's like very white woman centered. And, Mm -hmm. um, they like to think of themselves. Like if you go to a symposium or something like that, where it's like for nurses, it's like this, um, Oh, the nurse is like this caring mm-hmm. and this angel and like it's it's kind of like this vibe, you know? Yeah. yeah it's like you're a martyr and you're mm-hmm. you're you just think about other people and like this whole thing. And it's like, but not really, right? Because we're we are harming our patients to some degree sometimes, right? Like we do not get any training about like when I was in school, I got I'm I'm sure it's different now. I mean, it's I've been out for a minute now, but I didn't get any training about trans patients at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something I had to learn on the job. Now imagine that I wasn't somebody who wanted to make sure that my patient felt safe in my care. And even though that was true, I still made mistakes as a nurse, mm-hmm. right? And imagine that that's not my priority because of my personality. Like it, so it's not, I don't think it's fair to like make us seem like good or bad. Like we are what we are. We are human beings, you know? And, mm-hmm. but these, these, um, like the ANA, for example, or like the AANP is like a, a really fantastic, <laughs> oh my God, uh, example of this, where they just lobby against, 
the nurse's own interests, essentially, and they don't listen to their base. And they're the ones putting up these resiliency wellness trainings and and they collect a lot of money. So like they're also perpetuating this idea too. like they Mm -hmm. are pushing this. So it's hard to change when you have these institutions who refuse to change. It's very difficult. And when I think the institutions priorities aren't aligned with the priorities of their representative members, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and that's sort of, I mean, this is like a huge problem in like medical organizations as well of like, I think it's really hard for a national organization to speak for the interests of everybody that they represent. I think that's just like, especially when there are 12 people on the board that are like, we're going to make decisions for this entire organization with no input from our members and we're just going to do what we want. Like, I think that's a really challenging thing. And I mean, there's no right answer because you're right. Like there, there are healthcare is made up of people and, Mm -hmm. you know, a nurse in rural Texas is not going to have the same perspective and opinions as a nurse in Manhattan. You know, it just, there's not going to be the same people. But I think the, like the common thread is that all of us in healthcare are trying to practice evidence-based care of human beings. Right. Right. And like, we're not martyrs. We're not gods. We're not any of these things. Like we are people who are trying to follow the best evidence to do the best thing for our patients. And like, that's it. You know, that's it. That's all it should be is let's communicate. Let's be a team. Let's follow evidence. Let's make this about the patients and not about ourselves or money or hierarchy or history or the white men. Like, let's just make it about the patients again. And I feel like that's sort of where, where all these issues are rooted is we're stuck in culture and losing patience. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Well, I don't know what to call this episode, Laura. What do we call this one? Cause it, <laughs> it turned into a hodgepodge. Uh, what do we even talk about? Um, <laughs> Jesus, the show notes what for this are going to be such a mess. This, I think, I think what it's about is like, what do healthcare workers and healthcare providers not understand or like where's the breakdown in communication what do we need to understand about each other what do we need to understand about the system and what do we need to change about the system to make patient care better right like that's the bottom line that's what we're all and that's like i feel like the theme of rnmd and the theme of impact and the theme yeah. of like what you and i care about is how can we make these systems work better and make ourselves work with each other better to provide patient care right yeah absolutely yeah yeah, this you is, summed it up. Is, That's it. I can't do right. it any better than that. <laughs> those were those are the show notes, you guys. All right. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening to RNMD. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please send them to rnmdpodcast at gmail.com. If you could please rate and like us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, um, that would help us out a lot uh, because we don't have any new likes since July. And that was me, so. And it was Laura. So please write us a little thing, like say we're funny. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.